Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We're doing take two of our uh, episode today. Our guest is on the other side of our Zoom. Uh, we had a little bit of a... I like wires. I don't know Bluetooth stuff. I'm not a big fan of Bluetooth anything. No, it does. It does end up kind of <laughs> distorting the audio sometimes. So yeah, we're on take two with our guest Liz, who we're speaking to over Zoom from Alberta. She is a registered massage therapist that used to be um, practicing in Ontario. She's from Ontario and recently decided to take a vacation to Alberta and was like, I like it here. I'm going to stay. Where in Ontario were you from? It's like southwestern Ontario. I grew up just off of Lake Huron. Oh, cool. And we know from take one that uh, Liz used to work with what she termed as the MVA god Chris. So some of you may remember Chris <laughs> from our podcast and he's the one that introduced her to us. So thanks, Chris. Glad you did. Liz is here to talk about uh, a little bit of heavy shit. Wait, I guess I, we should I, put a trigger we warning. To, before we get into heavy shit, I do want to know one thing. I've never been to Grand Bend. Is Grand Bend a party like it always looks like it's a party? I've been to Grand it Bend. It was previous to COVID, for sure. You've been to, I've never partied <laughs> I've been in Grand, to Grand Bend. Yeah, in university, my friends and I used to take road trips was to it Grand par- Bend. Party town, party town? It, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah? It seems yeah. like fun. a lot of fun. It's That's fun. what Instagram tells me it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> It was a lot of fun. Well, hey, everyone, it's Amanda sitting on the couch because Liz is in Alberta. And before we get started today, as I said, we'll put a bit of a trigger warning here. We are talking about some heavy shit. Liz um, was recently talking about online some um, mental health issues that seem to be not being talked about I think about I remember enough. this now. You you did a story <laughs> and I probably <laughs> applauded, right? I think it was one of those moments. Oh, yeah. Mark. Or I probably gave a thumbs up or something. Because well, I see a lot of really cool shit and I'm like, that is, I got I to gotta reach out. Yeah. When I see something cool like that. So yeah, I was telling Liz before Mark came in that uh, he just said to me, there's this uh, therapist in Alberta that I want to get on the podcast. Can you find a space for her? These are her available dates and times. And so I said, okay, we can do this date this time. How does that work? And so I guess he ran it by Liz and he said, okay, book her in. But he didn't tell me her name, anything. So she was literally in my calendar this morning as therapist from Alberta. That's that's what I do. Actually, even better is Mark opened up the calendar this morning and he goes to me, who's Albert? And I said, it says Alberta. I don't know, man. I don't know much. So this this is how real this episode is going to be. What? But Liz's story was about mental health, but not just any mental health issues. It's mental health issues that she's seeing more prevalent in children. Yes. And I think this stemmed from a conversation with a client who works in the mental health field. So um, she wanted to talk about it because she feels we're not talking about it enough. And anyone who knows me personally knows I've not been quiet about this the last two years. I, you know, especially now, I really, really think, sorry for lack of a better term, I really really think we're fucking up our kids and I'm sick of hearing people say kids are resilient. Are you fucking resilient? I'm not resilient. And my kids definitely shouldn't have to be. So we were more than happy to get Liz on here to hear her perspective. But before we start into the heavy shit, let's do an introduction. Liz, how long you've been practicing as a massage therapist, what your practice is like, and what drove you to leave Ontario and move to Alberta? Okay, well, I'll talk about leaving Ontario first. So I graduated 2017, and then I went back to school for physio rehab therapy assistant, Um, worked in that for a little while, and then kind of COVID hit. So it was a little bit of a tricky situation. Um, And then I just got sick of everything. Came here for a vacation to visit my boyfriend in June, 
And I'm like, man, this is a lot better than Ontario. <laughs> like it just is as far as cities go, Calgary's the best. And so then I flew home, quit my job and moved here in August. I have a job. I have to work at two clinics here in Cochrane. I work at uh, Cochrane Family Chiropractic, which is I see a lot of um, first responders come in. So a lot of RCMP officers, a lot of firefighters, paramedics, um, all that fun stuff. And then I see I work at Shifra and I do prenatal, postnatal. It's a midwife clinic. So, um, yeah, that's kind of it. As far as like fully practicing as an RMT and like solely focusing on that really since August. I, I, I have a question though. Did your boyfriend be like, yeah, come move in? Or did you just like, just like impose, just, just like bust down the door? Like, you know what? I'm fuck, staying, I'm dude. staying. Forget Ontario. I like it here and I'm moving in too bad. Like, how did that conversation go? That's exactly how it went. We actually, you're going to think I'm so crazy. We had talked through Instagram through in the bodybuilding world. I used to be a bodybuilder and we talked through that kind of Instagram whole thing last winter, really got to know each other. Long story short, he came visited in March. We saw each other four times before I decided to move in with him, move across the country, move in with him. And that's it. And we've been together ever since. Okay. What does your family think? There's a Netflix series right there. I... (laughs) I am the least judgmental person when it comes to something like this, because I feel like Mark and I moved very fast. I was 25 when I met him or 24 when 24. I met him. Your name was 24 and, for yes, a long time. And I lived with him before I turned 25. Like that's how, how quick it was. Right. So I'm all for this, but I can imagine there must've been some people in your life that are like, Liz, have you lost your goddamn mind? I think no one was really surprised. Like knowing me, they're like, yeah, fair enough. That's very Lizzie. Go off <laughs> do your thing. So I did. And it's been great. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, It hasn't been an issue at all. I think that the big thing is like getting to know each other for the entire winter. I was in a lockdown and he was living in Tofino at the time. So we couldn't fly and meet each other. So we spent the entire winter like FaceTiming and we would have movie nights and we would like go on dates and we would just FaceTime the entire time. So I think that, yeah, cheesy. So I think that that was a big, (laughs) I think that was a big part of it. Like we did really know each other. We just didn't physically see each other, I guess. Starring Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Your real life is totally a rom-com. I love it. And now you're in Alberta. What did now you, I'm in Alberta, what did you yeah. like better? Like you said, this is way better than Ontario. What was it about uh, living in Cochrane so, that just felt like this is home? This is better for me. Yeah, I think that a big thing. And what I always say is where Ontario has cities, Alberta has mountains. Like the people here are not in as big of a rush all the time. Um, everyone here, not everyone, but there's a higher populate percentage of people are more athletic, more outdoorsy, more like they want to do more things. And like, I just didn't notice that in Ontario as much. So it, it just felt like I lived in Toronto. I lived in London. I grew up on a farm, like the city life wasn't it for me. And I couldn't find where I wasn't planting roots in Ontario for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I moved here and I was like, or I came here for a vacation and I was like, this is it. Like this everyone's here like they're cool and so I just didn't think it through too much I just did it 
<laughs> I didn't let my thoughts control me. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have that feeling, I when had you know uh, I had a good friend who lived in Calgary for, I don't know, I want to say like five years, but I could be way off on that. Um, I only yeah. visited her there once the entire time she lived there, just, you know, with jobs and things that didn't happen. But I went to visit her for, I think, a week one time, maybe not even, maybe five days. And every single day we were out like exploring somewhere like she... I never knew her to be the super outdoorsy person. I mean, I guess she was, but when we lived together in London, it wasn't like that. Every day we were out exploring and hiking and going on different trails. And, you know, we went to Banff and we did all this stuff. And I thought we just did that because I was there visiting. No, but that was like her regular life. Like she goes, why would I just like sit around in my condo here? Like there's so much to do. And there's so, and I was like, this is really awesome. Like her life definitely was really just outside. I feel like it's like that out that way. It's yeah. it's not, hey, what do you do? It's, hey, what do you do for fun? Do you know what I mean? It's not somebody like- Somebody told us that. I Was it somebody me. from BC? <laughs> <laughs> I might've made that up, but I feel like, I feel like, <laughs> I, I probably did make that up, but I feel like it's, a, actually I didn't. I heard that somewhere. Someone someone told me that, where people are a lot more interested in what do you enjoy doing yeah. than like, tell me about what you do for work. What's your, what's your salary like? What's your status? Blah, 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 blah. It's like, what do you do for fun type of thing? I feel like on the East Coast and the West Coast of Canada, Canada, it's a little more like that. And like those of us like stuck in the middle here are, I don't know, and maybe I'm crazy. Maybe there's parts of Ontario that are more like that. Probably like there's probably more rural parts of Ontario, but living in a city, you definitely don't feel that. It's like you go to work, you go home, you watch Netflix. Like <laughs> That's your life. If you want to get some exercise, you go inside a gym. You're not going hiking. I mean, some people do, but I feel like it's more common to like, yeah, go and walk on a treadmill than go walk outside. Mm. Totally. Yeah. So are you like a super outdoorsy person now? Have you always been and you just weren't in Lived the right on a farm, environment? Grew up on a farm. Grew up on a farm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I did. I Yeah, I grew up on a farm. So I was definitely always outdoorsy, like like dirt biking, four-wheeling, all of it, horseback riding, like you name it. And then I was like, I'm going to try the city thing. You know, like I was I was 19. I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Toronto, Humber, massage therapy, let's go. And then like my second year of college, a shooting happened. It was Rexdale, right? Mm -hmm. Just a really awful little neighborhood that I lived in. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I want to go home now. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true though. I guess it's like, it's just a big time shock when you, when you're, (laughs) when you're out in the country and the only thing that's getting shot is when you're shooting something versus like you just, you hear on the news, like someone in your neighbor just got shot. Yeah, I get it. I hate that I'm desensitized to it. Like I think it was maybe two weeks ago, I turned to Mark and I said, did you know someone got stabbed around the corner from our condo? Yep. Like, but the way I said it to him, and even right down the street, yeah, and even his reactions are like, oh, okay, because we just hear so much of it, and it's gross to think how desensitized we are to that. Like, oh, somebody got stabbed. Okay, and I mean, this is only getting like London. Even I, London has the crime rate in London has grown so much since all of like since COVID. I'm like, holy crap! Like, what is going on? Absolutely. Before we get into the topic of mental health, since we're talking about stabbings and shootings and all that fun stuff, um, why did you decide to become a massage therapist? You just said you decided to go to Humber at 19. Why massage therapy? Well, I originally went to school like it was 18, and I had no freaking clue what I wanted to do. I feel like. 
when you're in eight, when you're 18 and you're in grade 12 and they're like making you ask to go to the bathroom, but then they're also like, you need to decide <laughs> want to do for the rest of your life and everybody was like so sure on what they wanted to do so I'm like I guess I'll go to school for pre-health then so I went to Sarnia and I did pre-health hated it dropped out did it business human resources hated it got in a car accident dropped out (laughs) then I just traveled and that was great I think that that's like one of the biggest things that I say to um you know, like 17, 18 year olds, like, don't, if you don't know for sure what you want to do, don't go, like, just wait, travel, work. So I did that. And then I was talking to dad, my dad, and he was like, Sherry McIntyre next door wants to uh, sell her business. Maybe you should go to school for massage therapy. And I'm like, okay. Like, yeah, I never, like, I I didn't mind like the kin program in, in high school. And bodies don't bother me so I was like I'll give it a try why not I feel like Liz is like my ghost of what is it ghost of uh, spirits past like I'm looking at her and I'm like I feel like I was exactly like you at this age like I don't know what I want to do why does everybody seem so sure I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do with my life and somebody suggests uh, kinesiology to me and I'm like yeah okay that sounds cool I like the body all right yeah all right and people always say like oh you're so lucky like I've had so many people be like you're lucky that you love your job as much as you do I'm like yeah I am considering it wasn't really a full thought (laughs) when I dived dove into school but no so that's kind of what got me into massage therapy and then um and then I really ended up liking like the rehab side of it and I was I did I was a personal trainer for a bit there in London and that's pretty much it. And then I came here and now I'm just diving into all sorts of things. How easy is it to go from Ontario to Alberta? So Alberta's got how many different associations for massage therapists? Two, three, four? I have no idea. I know I'm with the Massage Therapy Association of Alberta, which was like the the closest to the CMTO that I could really find. But there's still no boards exams. And I don't really think that there ever will. I shouldn't say never, but I mean... There's so many governing boards and they would all have to be, or associations, I guess I should say, and they all have to be in agreement, right? Like, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, the only way that'll happen is if if Alberta becomes regulated. So all you had to do then was to apply to the association, pay your dues, go get some liability insurance, and you get to rock and roll kind of thing? Pretty much. Like, I had to prove that I had the, the right amount of hours, which I was above the hours that are needed here. Um, and you know, CPR, criminal record check. Were you ever licensed in Ontario? No. Ah, okay. 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 I thought you were licensed. Okay. Gotcha. I did the, I did the exams and then I went back to school. (laughs) Like I was like, I want to do more. I I figured if I, if I registered, I would have been like, just that's it. Massage therapy. And I was so young. So I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to do more things. And now I'm like 35 grand in debt and I feel like working forever, but I love it. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice, nice. You're you're super young. Thirty five thousand dollars of debt. It's fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> fine. Everything's fine. Ross Geller. I'm fine. Yep. But Who's oh, fine? listen to the segue. But we're not fine. We are not fine. So, um, since Mark has some trouble remembering, Liz, can you refresh his memory with what the post was that? that prompted him to reach out to you regarding children and mental health issues? Yes. So I had a patient come in. She was a a nurse at uh, the children's hospital in Calgary. 
Um, and she works in the Emerge. And we were we just kind of got to chatting. And like, I don't really like to talk about this kind of stuff too much. But I think that it was almost that vibe that we were both very in our heads about everything that was going on. So it got brought up casually. And she's like, you know, it's sickening. She said, we used to have like two to three uh, suicide attempts under 18 a week. Um, she's like, we're at like two to three a day. Um, and I like that just sat so uncomfortable. I just I actually just want to slow down for a second and like actually listen to those numbers. Two to three a right. week from two to three a day. Right. Like This is exponential. Bizarre. And the, the other thing that she said is that these people like these kids are getting smart with what they're doing. So it's not um, they, they know like they, they know what they're doing. And, and that's scary. That's so scary to me. Um, so she said, you know, we, we always have a psych nurse on, on staff, no matter what she said, the psychiatrist is still on call. She said, but the psych res who, who would normally just be on call. We now have to have one in the building 24 seven because the, because it's just so, uh, it's just crazy. It's just, you know, they can't control it. It's just, it's gone Yeah. So, so that kind of, I just, I was really spooked out by that. And then I had another, I had another patient not long after that, who was saying kind of, you know, the same things. Like she was like, she works at Foothills hospital as a nurse. And she was saying the same thing. She said the suicide attempts, like the mental health is, is through the roof. Like this, like we're not talking about this enough. And she didn't give me numbers or anything like that, but then that just kind of reiterated what I was hearing the week before the week previous. And I was, I just, I'm like, man, this is, this is so crazy. So then I had seen this, uh, this, you know, post on Instagram and it said it was this guy holding a picture and this is what Mark had reacted to. And he said two weeks to flatten the curve of suicide. Like, come on, <laughs> like this is, this is real time. This is real stuff. Right. So did either of your clients who are nurses, so, you know, they have the experience they've, they've seen the trends and what's been happening. Did either of them give any insight to you as to what either what they think we're doing wrong, why they think this is happening or what we need to be focusing on to stop this? Because that's that is fucking scary that there are two to three attempted suicides a day in people under 18. Like these are kids. This is what ends up going to a hospital. Yeah. Like, let's think about everything that no one ever knows. You know what I mean? What did they have to say about any of those things? Like what we need to do better, what we need to focus on or why this is this is happening so much right now? Yeah, like she did. They didn't they didn't really uh, target too much on it. Personally, that's when I started doing my own research. Like I don't have kids myself, like a wicked dog. Um, I don't have kids myself, but she, she. so I, I, I kind of wanted to do research myself because like, I think that this is something that, that RMTs can really, um, I don't know, like target in, in a, in a way. Cause I, yeah. So I think that the big thing is that kid, that parents are not, they're not, they're, they're talking too much. So it's exactly what you said in the beginning, like they're, you were pushing the parents are pushing a lot of their beliefs and a lot of, of everything on these kids. Right. Well, that was that was off mic for anyone who wants to know what I said. I, you know, when Liz and I were just chatting before uh, Mark came in, I said, you know, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because I have been loud about it. And I've probably made some of my own friends uncomfortable because I can see their anxieties and their fears about everything that's going on in the world. And of course, that's going to happen. But what we're not focusing on is how we're projecting all of our shit onto our kids. 
So right. we need to stop, uh, you know, when kids are afraid of their own breath, when kids are afraid to be outside, when like when kids are afraid to be around other people, like this is not normal. And I don't know if you saw this, Liz, but the CDC just updated like the milestones for children. And it doesn't say specifically, like the CDC didn't say specifically, this is because of masking or isolation. But suddenly, all of these children under five are having massive speech delays. When my kids were Ooh. not even two, they could speak in sentences. Two-year-olds today aren't doing that. The, the average two-year-old today doesn't do that and doesn't have the words or the vocabulary. Why? They're not seeing anybody's lips. They're only seeing their parents. They're on screens more than ever. Everything is screens. And we already knew from research that screens cause speech delays. And now wow. everybody's on a fucking screen. So anyway, what yeah, my my whole thought was like, parents need to be very, very careful about all of the fears and anxieties that we're projecting on to our children. There was a post in one of the parent groups that I'm in yesterday that had a mother who was really, really upset because in her child's school, now her child is in kindergarten, okay? So this is a four or five-year-old. Um, at her child's school, for when they want to take a sip of water, they have to stand facing the wall because they're taking their masks down. They have to drink their water facing a wall at four or five years old. So her daughter was coming home every day having not drank water all day because she didn't want to stand facing the wall. Like this is fucking punishment. That leaves me speechless. And it goes... It's like, and I mean, even, even as much as, so here in Alberta, I don't know what it's like there, but here in Alberta, kids don't have to wear masks anymore. Thank God. Yeah. Right. So here in Alberta, kids don't have to wear masks anymore in schools. Like I, I don't know whether or not they have to wear masks in public yet. Still, I, I'm not, unsure, I'm unsure about that, but I had a bus driver um, as, as one of my clients last week and I was kind of, I kind of started talking to her about it and she goes, it's bizarre. She said, kids are coming on the bus and they're wearing their mask. Like they're still wearing their masks. And I'm like, why do you think that is? She goes, I don't know. So she says, she asks, and they're like, I'm just more comfortable with my mask on. They're scared. And I'm like, that's so, you're more comfortable with your mask on. Why? Because you're in fear. You're scared. And is that necessarily your parents anymore? Or is that just because that's what it's been for such a big chunk of your life? Like two years is such a big chunk of these kids' lives, right? Like, yeah, when this all started, my youngest was not even three yet. She, uh, her birthday's in June. So this started March of 2020. So yeah. she was going on three. And like this summer, she's going to be five. Like these are critical developmental years. She started school during this right. pandemic, meaning she started school with not seeing anybody's fucking face. Yeah. And again, like right. I'm all for public health and, you know, mitigating risk and this and that. But enough research has already shown that like masks are not as effective as we thought they are. But kids, kids have a statistically 0% chance of getting critically ill or dying of COVID. And we're terrifying them and having them in masks comes with its own its own risks. And like, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not a scientist. But um, in that same group that I was talking about, there was a father, he posts all the time. He's also a teacher. And I can, I guess, I guess sympathize with teachers. I'm sorry, I kind of don't. But I can, you know, at least try to understand why teachers want the kids masked. But really, I, I don't get it. But this guy is also a teacher. And he's always been very pro um, mask mandates and everything, you know, to to protect everyone and fine. I work in healthcare. If I have to wear a mask, fine. I will wear a mask when I treat my patients. Fine. But my 
my five and eight year old kids, I don't think they should be in masks. Anyway, he posted an article um, showing my old university, Western University in London, saying that um, university, even if uh, mask mandates are dropped, universities are going to keep them. And he said, I, I sure hope elementary and high schools do as well. I'm like, what? Like, you're fucked, buddy. You're fucked if you want to keep your kids muzzled. I like you're I, I don't get it. I, I'm not going to get it. No. And like the other thing that goes hand in hand with what you were saying about, you know, like the delays is that like we need to understand. So in those those early early childhood childhood years, and I learned this in occupational therapy, is that like they where adults talk, kids play. That's the saying. Right. Kids need that parallel play. That's how they they regulate. That's they don't know how to react. They like their emotions. They, they don't they don't regulate. And that parallel play is so important. And now you've taken that away from them. Mm -hmm. Like for years, you've taken that away from them. And then now you're, you're telling them, okay, go back. And they're scared. So it's not, it's like, it's not just these two years. It's like, it's, it's longer than that because now you're saying, okay, the pandemic's over, which it isn't, but you're saying the pandemic's over, go back in. And they're still wearing their masks because they're scared. It's just, it's not, it's not right. It's, it's really sad. And like that, that self-regulation and, and like, that's, I think that's super, super important too. And I mean, if you get into like the brain and the gray matter versus white matter, right? Like, as a, as a baby in your mom's stomach, like your whole brain's gray. And then it starts to turn white right up until the front right up until it gets to your frontal cortex, right? Your prefrontal cortex. But this is so delayed. Like that prefrontal cortex is your risk, your risk taking, your judgment making and all this stuff. That's not, that's not developed until technically you're 25 years old, but we're, we're delaying that so much. So you can imagine what's going to happen in years to come. Yeah. And I mean, this is totally anecdotal, but I treat a woman who's a high school teacher and mm -hmm. she was, she was actually in last night for a treatment and she was telling me that um, what she's seeing now. So for example, she teaches both grade 10s and grade 12s at the moment. And she said, my grade 12s, their behaviors like grade nines, like these, these kids are not ready to go to college or university. They're so delayed. They're socially awkward. They have no idea how to interact with people. Like she goes, I, and, and again, this is a person who's very like pro mandates, pro masking, you know, like she, she was all about safety. COVID definitely scared the crap out of her. Um, but she also can see the other side of like how harmful uh, the masking and the isolation has been on her her high school kids and she said the kids in grade 10 she's like i i don't know i don't even know like what it's going to take for us to catch them up to me it's not even just that it's not just the mandates and the masks it's also what happens potentially at home yeah like when i was a kid there was no there was no me listening in to ad adult conversation I wasn't mm. permitted to when the grown-ups are talking I I wasn't I wasn't meant to be there and hanging out yeah. and listening into this. So like for example, we don't do that in front of our children. We don't have these types of conversations in front of our children. We don't even put on the news in front of our children. No. There's no reason why my child is going to be exposed to this 24/7 news cycle of death, doom and despair and the world is ending. So combine that with with the all the mandates and everything, you've just got a recipe for a fucking disaster. Yeah, you've got anxiety in primary children. Like when a kid doesn't even want to take his mask off to eat lunch 
And we know a kid that's like that. He, yeah. he he comes home with this full lunch. He's like, I didn't. I was scared to take my mask off to have fucking lunch. Yeah, he doesn't eat his food. Um, he's only seven. He'll be eight soon, and he doesn't eat his lunch at school because that would mean he'd have to take his mask off. And the other kids, because they have a oh, this also makes me sick to even say it, but a lot of schools have a no mask, no voice policy. So if your mask is off, you're not allowed to speak. And that's majority of schools, no mask, no voice. So these kids, when they take off their masks and they finally get to see each other's faces, they're only allowed to have your mask off to eat. And so what he's noticing is because in, you know, unless they're in kindergarten, there's nobody like standing there watching them eat lunch. The teacher leaves, right? If you remember when we were in school, there's no teacher in the classroom. There's like one teacher who walks up and down the halls to make sure nothing's getting unruly. So when the teacher's not around and they have their masks, off, of course they're talking to each other. Like, of course they are. We'd be crazy to think that they're just keeping their mouth shut. So he's going home and telling his mom, I don't want to take my mask off because everybody's talking with their masks off. So he's imagining like the worst case scenario and there's just germs flying all around the classroom and he's breathing them in. So he keeps his mask on and doesn't eat. That's so, so sad. That's so sad. And I mean, even on that, like on the other side of of things and you think about so I, as I was researching into this, um, so like there's for school closures, 138 countries, I have it written here, 138 countries impacting 80% of children globally, right? For these lockdowns. And then two months into the pandemic, this increased 188 affecting 1.7 billion students. Now, if you, you want to bring this back like down in, you know, to Canada, in the second year, there was, sorry, yeah, in Canada alone, 5.7 million children and youth have been infected or have been impacted. 5.7 million kids. Now, if you take, if you think about that, and then you think about what the statistic would be for these kids who are in, you know, say, let's like just say one in 10 kids are in a home where they're being physically abused or are in a home where they're being emotionally abused, sexually abused. What's that statistic to 5.7 million, right? And now you've got all these kids who are stuck in these homes. And then now we've got suicide skyrocketing in children and mental health and children skyrocketing. And like, that's sick, right? Like that's so, yeah, I don't know. It, it just, and like, you know, I was looking in, in Ontario in 2008 and the numbers, the thousands of kids, they've broken it down. The thousands of kids that have been physically, sexually abused, neglected, neglected, emotional maltreatment, like all of this. And I'm like, this is 2018 and the numbers were high enough, let alone what they probably are now. Like, it's just yeah. like, this is the stuff that that's just not talked about. It's just not talked about. People want to live in oblivion and it's scary. Yeah, we brought this up at the very beginning of the pandemic. We had uh, Mark's cousin, she's a cognitive behavioral therapist, and we had her on an episode and we talked about the idea that, you know, not everybody is lucky enough to be able to just sit comfortably at home. You know, not everybody has the luxury to be like, okay, I'm at home and I'm safe, so all is good. And when home is not a safe place for you, that's fucking terrifying. And when home is not a safe place for you and you're a child, but now you're also too afraid to go to, because, you know, it's not like you can go and talk to your teacher. It's like, oh, keep a distance. Don't, you know, there's, there's no, it's not even mm. like there's a caring adult waiting with open arms on the other side of your front door. There isn't because you've got to stay away from them. P people aren't opening up to other adults or caregivers because they can't. I'd imagine it's really hard to build and receive trust if, 
you have to stay a distance. You can't speak. You 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 can't see someone's face. Like it's really hard to build and receive any kind of trust. And in children, those uh, children pick up on energy way better than we do because they haven't yet been totally stifled in actually being able to feel what's going on around them. And so, again, if you've got all of these adults that are just vibrating anxiousness at them. They feel that. So they don't even feel like they can open up to anybody and say, like, I need help. I'm struggling because nowhere's going to feel safe. So it's, yeah, it's a really scary thing that this is all happening. And I know, you know, there's obviously going to be people listening to this. And there's, I see the arguments online where there's people saying, uh, yes, but kids are resilient and this is what we have to do. And we have to, you know, if we don't have our health, and I'm like, hey, but health. I hate how health, the definition of health has just become the absence of COVID. Like your health has to include mental health, physical health, emotional health, spiritual health. It's everything. And all of that is deteriorating because we're all just trying to hide from this one virus. And yes, I get it. I'm not diminishing the negative effects of the virus, but also now at two years in when we do have a lot more understanding and we've repeated the same cycle over and over and over again, and we see the damage that it's done to children and teenagers, we need a better fucking plan. We need to be talking about this shit and fixing the problems that we or and or our governments, our governments, our governments have created. So what I've looked at is just being an RMT. Like, how can we as individuals fix it? Like, you know what I mean? We can't globally fix it. So I've been looking in like as an RMT, like what we can do in regards to mental health alone. Like, I think that that's been one of my big research, like big, big key points of research is like in mental health alone, whether it's for kids and or adults, teenagers, like whatever, elderly, everyone suffers from mental health. Like what is, as RMTs can we do? And I think for kids, especially it's like, like talk to them, like talk to them as kids, like one-on-one, if, if you're treating a kid, what's your intake look like with them? that initial intake that you're having with them, like that camaraderie that you have with them, like make them feel safe in talking to you as you should as an RMT anyways. Like it's a scary, it's kind of a scary thing going to see an RMT and listen to them, listen to them about their physical pain, listen to them about what's going on. Like, man, this is, things are tough right now. Like, how are you handling the school lockdowns? Like, are you feeling a little anxious? Like what, like what's up? Half the time kids will, will probably talk to you and, and it will make them feel a lot better. But I think parents, I can't say for sure, but I don't think parents are talking to them enough because it's exactly that. People think that kids are resilient and it's going to be okay. Yeah. And I think also there's some parents through no fault of their own that, you know, maybe don't talk, talk to their kids, like how you're suggesting, asking, how are you feeling about this? How are you doing? Acknowledging that things are hard right now because they're also concerned about upsetting them. You know, like it's coming from a good place, but they think, okay, if we just kind of like act like this is all normal, but I feel like kids have the right to recognize that nothing about this is normal. Like it's been long enough of, of pretending like this is normal. Like look at the outcomes of, of what's happening. Like we need to, we need to be better, I think. Right. I think we need to do a poll on this episode, Mark, so you can post this clip at some point. I want to know from RMTs anywhere if they've seen an increase in children coming to their practice, because I know certain therapists that I've spoken to said they have seen an increase of children coming to their practice because their parents are even concerned about them, you know, understanding touch, right? Like we're not, we don't hug anybody anymore. So the idea of, you know, healthy touch, um, a lot of parents have been bringing their kids for treatment and also because they can sense 
their nervousness and anxiety. And this is one tool that they have to try to help their kids relax. So I would like to know from therapists who are listening if they've seen an increase in children coming into their practice and if they're seeing what we're feeling and what we're seeing that these kids are coming in younger and younger and younger with mental health concerns that we wouldn't expect to see in children so young. Not that mental health issues cannot affect children. Of course they can, but not to this volume and to this extent. And like the other thing that I want to kind of touch base on is, uh, is mental health. So, I mean, with this, it's not just anxiety and depression that I think that we're going to be facing. I think it's a PTSD and we're going to see a lot of PTSD in kids to come. And this is what I would say. I said in, in, in the podcast, like it's not just, this that I want to target, I think that we're going to see as RMTs an influx in chronic pain in association with the PTSD. So what I notice as an RMT is with, with my first, like my first responder patients, a lot of them have PTSD, my RCMP officers, my paramedics, and what goes hand in hand with PTSD, chronic pain. Right. There's no, there's no, there's no lie in that. It's, it's, it's right there. And I think that, um, I think that if, as long as RMTs are aware of this and are educated in how we can treat it, I think that that's going to be, it's so important. Like 80%, I did another, I was, I was looking at it, it says 80% of 21 year olds that have experienced mental health issues have um, a diagnosis of, of a psychological disorder, mm-hmm. right? 80%. So to me, I think a lot of RMTs, I think we as a collective treat the mind and the body separate. And I think that we need to start treating it as, as a whole, like our mind and our body, like we're, it's all one thing. We're all connected and we can't, we can't ignore that. We can't pretend like, oh, you're experiencing chronic pain. Not, that has nothing to do with the fact that you're having a really, really bad mentally mental day, like, or you just went and saw therapy and now you have a flare up in your low back. Do you, do you kind of see what I mean? Like, I think we need to start associating that a little bit more and, and correlate, like, you know, treating it as one thing in a sense. I think there's a lot of therapists that do recognize that. And, you know, we, we've, I think as a profession have moved towards understanding that it, you know, that's why we use things like the biopsychosocial model. That's why a lot of therapists are focusing a little more on becoming trauma informed and making sure they understand the person and the mental health issues that might be coming into their practice. Um, But yeah, I mean, I, I, again, would be really interested to to hear from therapists to see how much this has increased, how many more people we are seeing with chronic pain and other things that are very likely associated with just all of the the stress and the PTSD and the anxiety and depression and all of these things that are happening in the world right now collectively. Like I've been saying for two years, like the the feeling just when you step out into the world sometimes is just like this really heavy, dense, collective anxiety. And some days I'm like, oh, I can't, like, I can't breathe. It's just wild when you're out where, especially where there's a lot of people, because you can just feel certain people's anxieties like coming at you. Right. And it's especially hard, especially hard. Like I've noticed treating like as an RMT, like that energy, right? It's you and one person. And like, that you take on so much of that person's energy that by the time I'm home and my boyfriend wants to talk to me, I'm like, I can't, I'm sorry. I can't. It's exhausting. Mark, how do you feel like we, I mean, you've sort of touched on it before. How do you feel like we've done with our kids at home? Do you feel that they feel 
that they can still be kids? Do you feel that they have a little bit of fear? Have you noticed any differences with them? I don't think there's a real fear with our children. I don't think they're scared of the idea of COVID or if they get COVID or if someone they know gets COVID. I don't think they're they're scared of that. Mm-hmm. They 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 definitely know that this is this is not a normal situation. Even our youngest, who has lived a lot through it, mm. um, I think we're doing okay with it. To be honest with you, because we have these conversations with them, we we're very mindful about what what we say. Like how I said earlier about parents having conversations and stuff like that with with your children present, we're we're really mindful of that kind of thing. Um, and and I think that's a big part of everyone. I think that's a big part of what people should be doing is being really mindful of what they do and say around their children. Yeah, yeah sometimes because you can't you, help you, how you we, feel, well, but you can help what you say. Exactly. Like I mean, there's nothing you're going to do about a mask mandate. <laughs> there's nothing you're going to do about that. There's right. nothing you're going to do about a school policy. There's nothing you're going to do about. So the only thing that you really have control over is how does this translate to your children. The communication that happens, because everyone's going to be affected regardless. And now, yeah. it's just, now it's a matter of, of damage control in, in minimizing the amount of, of, of harm that's going to come from all of this. Yeah. But I will add to that, as you said, there's nothing you can do about a mask mandate or a school policy. I still do very strongly believe in advocating for your children. So like, yes, for example, the, the mother who was saying she was upset that you know her kid's not drinking water because they have to stand and face the wall. These concerns should 100% be brought to Absolutely. the attention of the school, brought to the attention of the teacher, the principal like that's, I, that's I called beyond the, the mask mandate though. no i understand that but i i mean i called the principal at our kid's school multiple times he knows me by name <laughs> by name now but He's because i am very much beverly goldberg don't fuck with my kids <laughs> um but i called the school one day because my youngest daughter I always ask the kids because it's important to me that I know that they're getting parts of the day where they're not masked. I mean, I hate that they're masked to begin with. And I know, again, there's going to be people listening who say, just don't put masks on them. Sure, I could do that. We have, you know, continued to follow the policies and they they go to school wearing the masks. And I just want to make sure they're getting breaks. So, you know, that they're they're actually taking the time during snack time and during lunchtime. And when they're outside, they're taking them off because they shouldn't have to have masks on outside. So my oldest daughter's really good at this. You know, the minute she walks out of the school, that thing comes off her face and she's breathing air and she's, you know, she's fine. My youngest daughter, um, because in she's in kindergarten, they have like like play playground equipment in the kindergarten yards. They've got slides and climbing structures and whatever. And so the rule in the kindergarten yard is if you're on the structures, you're supposed to be masked because they can't stay away from each other. So someday she would come home and I was like, did you take your mask off? And uh, one day she said, no, Miss So-and-so said I had to keep it on because I was too close to the other kids. And I just called the school and I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like it's crazy enough that we're masking four-year-olds inside and I've I've obliged. We're doing that. But why is she in a mask outside? And I've even seen uh, the education assistant is in one of the face groups I'm in. I've heard her. I've seen her online say, well, the kids don't keep their distance outside. So I'd prefer them masked outside. I'm like, are you fucking nuts? Now they can't even breathe. Like, so they're getting I feel like they're getting that anxiety at school. So I I have taken it upon myself to make sure I, I let the school know like this is not OK. And I want to. And so anyway, the principal did agree with me and he. He has spoken to the teachers about making sure the kids get to take their masks off and not scaring the crap 
crap out of them all the time. So with both of them, I remind them every day, like take them off as much as you can. Only keep them on when you absolutely have to. And uh, when we're out and about and doing our stuff, I'm like, I don't want that anywhere near you. Like, take it off. I want to see your face. I think there's going to be a massive postmortem at schools to, to, to analyze. Every school should do it. Forget the school board. I'm talking about the school and what the school did with their policies to to really see, hey, do we do, we, do, we do the best we could here? Or how did we fall short? That needs to be done. Yeah. Some of the, I'm putting in air quotes, policies, I also feel were for show. And that has been really infuriating as well. Like Like when I see the teachers outside with the kids in like minus 20 weather, and they're telling them to take their gloves off so they can sanitize before they walk into the school. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Let them go inside. And then if you need them to wash their hands or sanitize or whatever when they get inside, fine. But why are you sanitizing my child's hands like seven times a day and in minus 20 weather? And I feel like part of that is like to show the parents and whatever, like, look, we're doing everything we can to keep you safe. I'm like, no, you're ridiculous. Like, this is ridiculous. And what's the point? You sanitize their hands and they put them back in their gloves because they're fucking freezing. <laughs> what was the point? What was the point? It's so stupid. It hurts my soul to what watch. Can do? What can you do? The only thing you can actually do is hope everyone is just mindful and and you hope everyone is keeps all this in the front of their mind and is doing the best that they can in all these scenarios. That's the only thing that you can hope for. Yeah. At the end of the day, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I agree with And Mark. recognize when things aren't fucking working though. Yeah. And if things aren't working, then they demand a little bit extra attention and it demands a change and that's all there is to it so when you see things like suicide rates going from two to three a week to two to three a day like something is not working and Mm -hmm. that demands more attention i know i feel like we've just like brought everybody down (laughs) it needs to it needs to be discussed that's that's all there is to it yeah that's all there is to it we can always just sweep it under the rug and then nothing 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 ever comes from that so nothing gets done but if you are listening and you do have children of any age you know maybe this is a point to check in with yourself like what am i projecting on them what kind of discussions are they hearing around the house do i have cp24 floor playing in the background you know, constantly but, but nothing like i'm not I'm, I'm not even suggesting like this is like this is how you need to parent do whatever you got to do i'm just saying just be very mindful like it, whether you're pro masks or pro mandates or pro whatever or you're you're you're, you're not for them just realize the, the the language that happens and the impact that it has on on, on on a young child and if you think that impact on the child is going to bring an outcome that you don't want to have yeah then you need to be mindful on how on on how you speak you know and and the actions that you have going forward in, in injecting your child into that stuff well part of that too again we're not telling anyone how to parent but because we've all been collectively stressed and a lot of people are working from home i do find a lot of homes have become disconnected as well like where the parents maybe aren't talking to their kids as much and everybody's off doing their own thing and on their own screens because you know you're working from home and your your spouse is working from home and the kids are on their laptops or their devices doing school from home you can be all for masking you can be all for the idea if you want your child to be in a mask and the school should be in masks and all the rest of it. But never should your child walk around thinking that person's unmasked, they're unhealthy, I'm going to die because of them. Right. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you want to have the conversation of like, we are doing this in our house and these are the reasons why. And there are many reasons why other people don't do what we're doing. And it doesn't make them any really different than what's going on here. We're just taking this type of precaution because we feel that this is the best thing for us. And 
and what might be the best thing for us isn't necessarily the best thing for somebody else and yeah. recognize that like even that alone can 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 make a big difference yep. what do i know Fuck. no but that's exactly exactly right and so that's you know a conversation that i've seen online a lot is for people who still want to take all the precautions they should have every right to do so for people Absolutely. who don't want to take as many precautions and want the restrictions to loosen a little bit they should have the right to do so everybody should be doing what makes them and their family comfortable and they where they feel safe and everybody can you know get back to actually being healthy not just dodging covid thanks for this important go I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, this. It's all really good. Um, it's good information. You guys are saying stuff that I didn't even really think about, too, right? So, it's stuff that needs to be heard. I think for sure. And don't be scared to talk about it, folks. Yeah. Right. It's it's one thing to listen to us yammer about this crap, but don't be scared to talk about it. I think this is conversation that needs to happen with your family. This is stuff that needs to happen with your colleagues. This is stuff that needs to happen with your circle. You know, whether you agree with stuff or disagree with stuff, like just, there's, there's no harm in, 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 in conversation and expressing what you think and why you think, and therefore giving someone a better understanding as to your mode of operation. Like that is massive. Yeah. We need to get back to that. People feeling safe to speak. I saw a meme. Um, nine out of 10 dentists say that flossing is really important or something like that. And, and Joe Rogan wants to have the 10th the, the dentist on because they might have all the secrets. And that was really funny for the fucking moment. And I was thinking to myself, you know what? I would actually want to hear what that 10th dentist yeah. has to say. I mean, <laughs> one, you're a dentist like everybody else is. So your expertise is the exact same as everybody else's. Yeah. And for yeah. whatever reason, you've got a different idea as to, I know it was just a fucking funny meme, but I mean, like my response was, I would want to hear what that dentist had to say. I'm curious. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I have to agree. That doesn't no. mean I have to follow it. But why, right. why stop someone from, why stop anyone from being able to say what they, what they want to say? Like, I don't have to take it. I don't have to put yeah. any meaning behind it, but I also don't have to put a muzzle on it. Well, that's a good, like a good, a good thing to think about. And a, like a question, if you were to be full blown one side, one side of of, of something, are you going to do more research on that or are you going to do more research on the opposite? Man, I've seen so much stuff about this where, where because I've got friends all over the place. I got friends way on this camp. Right. I got friends way on this camp and I'm, I'm, I drift somewhere in the middle, right? I drift somewhere mm-hmm. in the middle. I agree with some stuff here. I agree with some stuff here and I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of either extreme, but I hear from one side people saying, you drank the Kool-Aid, you're going down this rabbit hole, blah, 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 blah. You, you, you're finding all this stuff that you, and I'm like, you're doing the exact same thing, but way on the other fucking side. Like yeah. it's no fucking different people don't realize about themselves. And I think the best thing that you can do is, and it's just like you said, like educating your child that um, this is what we're doing. um, But this is what, why they might be doing what they're doing. And nobody does that alone, like about anything. It's like, you fully believe one thing, not nobody, but a lot of people, you fully believe that flossing is right. That's it. You are going to floss. That's it. But why don't you do research on why maybe flossing isn't right? <laughs> every it's so funny because everybody on as Mark said I'm I'm with him where there's there's extremists on every side of every, every side. debate and you know him and I we have a lot of discussion you know not with the children but like just the, the two of us about how we feel about how things are going and what we're feeling and it's always funny to us when there's each side is accusing the other of this confirmation bias I'm like but you're both doing it you're like doing you're all doing it thing. and you don't recognize that. 
that you're doing it. I mean, even as you're saying, do your own research, do your own research, the number of memes I've seen about people saying, unless you are doing, you know, a study in a lab with a control group or whatever, you're not doing research. I'm like, since when? Like, do you not remember being in in high school or, or in university and you had to do a research paper? What did you have to do? You had to go read other people's peer-reviewed research. That Since when is that not no longer considered doing research, reading peer-reviewed published journals that is no longer research. You have to be in a lab and doing something like they assume that anyone who says, well, I've researched this, just did you know a 10-minute Google search. I'm like, why is that the assumption? Sure, there's probably lots of people who just did a 10-minute Google search on something, but there's probably other people who do you know genuinely want to understand and understand everything, even if they don't necessarily agree with everything, but they want want to have an understanding and ask questions. And that's yeah. what, you know, science is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Another question I have, which is nothing really to do with this, but touching, again, I thought about this and forgot to ask, at what age, knowing this, so for, for a, a parent to be listening to this podcast and, you know, consider their kids at home and the mental health skyrocketing and what whatever, at what age do you think is an appropriate age to put your kid in counseling? So say that you're not really seeing any, any, any signs of mental issues, mental health issues. Do you think that the kids should still be going into counseling? I don't think there's a minimum age. I think that, you know, you as a parent being able to be self-aware enough to know, you know, if maybe you need some external help, if maybe, you know, something might be going on with your kid and you're, you're not really sure what to do. There are professionally trained people to do that. So I don't think there's a minimum age. I think it's up to, again, it's up to the parents to know where their limitations are, but also to make sure that they're understanding their own child right? Like, I, I mean, parents are usually pretty good at this where they can say like, this is out of character for my kid. This is different. And I mean, we've we've seen it in one of our children recently where there's certain things that she's doing and I'll look at Mark and I'll say, huh, that's different. Like that there's something is, is prompting her to behave this way. What is it? So when you recognize those things, and you're unable to deal with it. I don't care if the kid is two or 20, like, yeah. you know, get the help. Right. Yeah, I get the help. That's what, that's what I think. I'd be curious to know what the number is like. If that's something I, I haven't researched in, is 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 has the percentage of kids in therapy gone up? Are are our parents taking the initiative in getting their kids the help that they need, or are we just saying kids are resilient? It's going to be okay. Like you know what I would imagine anyone that's got the means to do so is doing so the same way that yeah. that 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 we've had a whole bunch of RMT saying hey. I've I've seen an influx of, of parents bringing in their kids because of whatever reason and they feel like massage therapy and positive touch and everything else mm. is going to be beneficial. So I'd imagine someone that has the means to do so and they recognize that, then they would be doing so. But that's, yeah. that's just me. I would hope anyways. Yeah. But yes, thank you, Liz, for bringing this up because it is an important discussion to have. And you know, for parents listening, you know, hopefully you are thinking about your own children and how they might be affected and like Mark said, we're not going to tell you what to do, but kids are kids are not meant to be resilient. Whether you agree or disagree with anything that we said, the only thing that I want you to do is check in. Mm-hmm. Check in. I think that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out. This was really good. Yeah, it's awesome. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace. <laughs>